0: Is taken from Acts 2. We'll begin the reading at verse 42. In the large print Bible, you'll find this on page 1743. In the church Bible, you'll find it on 1094. I'm going to begin at verse 40 to set this reading in context. This is Peter speaking. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. We come now to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Morning. Shall we pray before I start? Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage about the early church. I pray as we look at it together, you would speak to us by your Spirit to encourage and challenge us to be more fully the Church of Jesus that we are called to be. In His name, we pray. Amen. Um, In September this year, I had um, a great. on. I had a great um, privilege of going on a trip to Israel and Palestine, um, and it was the most amazing few days, or few, uh, ten days, of walking in the footsteps of Jesus, opening up the Bible in the places where it was set, and also looking at the archaeological evidence for the events we see in Scripture. But for me, the most significant uh, thing was actually an evening spent in Galilee, uh, where we were chatting with a Jewish family. They were staying in the same hotel as us, um, celebrating Jewish New Year, and their children asked to join us for a game of ping pong one evening. And after that game followed the most amazing conversation about each other's faith. They had so many questions about our faith, and we had so many questions for them too. We opened up the Old Testament, and we looked at Old Testament prophecies, messianic prophecies about Christ, and discussed the life of Christ. After looking at Jesus' death and resurrection, The lady asked so what next for christians i showed her the last words that jesus spoke to his disciples from luke 24 as he commissioned them to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations until he returns it was her reply that really moved me she said wow so you know what it is like to wait for the Messiah. But you've got a job to do while you wait. I continue to pray for that family, that they would recognize Jesus. But I was also deeply challenged by their words about waiting and doing what Jesus has asked us to do. In this season of Advent, we reflect on the waiting for the arrival of our Savior at Christmas. At our carol services, we'll be reading some of those messianic prophecies pointing towards the birth of a king born in Bethlehem. And as we remember the waiting for Christ's first coming, it helps to remind us that we are now waiting for his return to establish the fullness of his kingdom on earth. And while we wait, there's work to be done. I know Mike spoke last week about waiting. But as we look at today's passage... Can I invite you to hold those two aspects of the lady's comment with us the waiting, but also the getting on with the job that Jesus has asked us to do? So let's look at the passage. The book of Acts was written by St. Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. It's possible that Acts was written as a defense for Paul when he was in prison, and it gives a historic account of the early church. Our passage today continues from Peter's speech, and I was glad that was covered in the the reading as he spoke to the crowd on the day of Pentecost. And it's helpful to hold this in mind in order to understand this community. At the end of Peter's speech, we read in verse 41, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this church was made up of a lot of very new Christians, along with those who had witnessed Jesus' ministry, and of course the apostles. There's one other thing from Peter's speech which is helpful in understanding today's passage, and from which we can draw parallels between the waiting of God's people for Christ's birth and the waiting of this early church for his return. Peter quotes King David from Psalm 16, And we read in verse 30 that he explains that David was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of the fact. So right here at the start of this new church, we see Peter and the apostles explaining that they are witnesses of Jesus and that this Jesus, who they knew and loved, is the one who had been promised by God to his people as a king. This reference to the Old Testament promise of a king is highlighted in the book of Luke as he records the angel's words to Mary about the birth of Jesus, which I'm sure we'll be hearing over Christmas. In Luke 1, verse 31, it says... You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So, this early church began with a revelation of who Jesus is. The apostles just testified to what they had seen and heard. God, by his Spirit, opened people's eyes to see the wonder, the majesty, the authority, the love of Jesus, and the forgiveness that he offers. We can be encouraged that from then until now, Jesus' kingdom has been growing through his church, and his kingdom will never end. So, what did these new believers do as they waited for Jesus' return? We read in verse 42 they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The apostles' teaching, as we've seen in Peter's speech, was the gospel of Christ. And the apostles interpreted the Old Testament scriptures in light of the gospel. What did it mean for these believers to be devoted to the gospel? It meant growing in their relationship with Christ, becoming more like him, and sharing the good news in the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that their proclamation of the gospel was recognized as authoritative because of the miraculous works that accompanied it. We read in verse 43, many, many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. During his ministry, Jesus spoke with authority. His words of teaching were clearly underscored by the miraculous works that God did through him. The same kinds of miracles were now being accomplished by the apostles. And we see in chapter 3 that Peter heals a crippled beggar. How can we be devoted to the gospel? As children of God, filled with his spirit we have been given the authority to speak and demonstrate the power of the gospel. Whether we're natural evangelists or not, we can all testify to the work that God has done in our lives. The second thing that we see these early believers devoted themselves to was the fellowship. The term Luke uses for fellowship in our text is much broader than the English word. The Greek word koinonia, means joint participation or sharing something in common. In other parts of the New Testament, it's used to describe the sharing of the Holy Spirit or the sharing in Christ's suffering or sharing in ministry. However, the most common expression of fellowship is that of sharing financial resources, giving. And we see in verse 44 and 45, all the believers were together together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. St. Saviors has been and continues to be a very generous community in sharing financial resources, but also in the wider sense of the word fellowship. There was a difficult time in my life when the generosity of care, wisdom, time and creativity of this community showed me the love of Jesus when I couldn't feel it for myself. The third thing that we see these believers devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. The term breaking of bread used here is usually understood to mean communion. As Jesus had instructed his disciples in Matthew 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. It's really significant that this early church frequently remembered the death of Jesus on the cross. It's the most fundamental Christian belief that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. It humbles us that we can do nothing to earn our salvation but receive it freely from God through Christ. It was also significant because the church was probably a very diverse community with some new believers, some who had been there and seen Jesus in the flesh, others who hadn't, some from Jewish backgrounds and others not. Breaking bread would have reminded them that they are part of one body because they share in one bread. So we too have the opportunity to remind each other of Jesus' death through taking communion and also to remind us that Christ unites us in all our diversity. But breaking of bread may have also simply referred to eating a meal together. For later in Acts, Luke describes what took place when Paul and many others were caught in a devastating storm. Breaking bread here refers simply to the passengers of the ship eating something before they struck shore. So this was unlikely to have been a communion service. Later, in Luke, 40, in, Luke uh, in verse 46, Luke describes how they broke bread from house to house, sharing their food. So it seems Luke wants us to understand that the early church celebrated communion as part of a meal. The sharing of a meal is perhaps one of the most intimate forms of fellowship they could have with other believers. In the ancient Near Eastern world, when a guest is invited to a meal with his host, it was the duty of the host to provide protection for that guest. The eating of a meal is also a description of our fellowship with God. We read in Psalm 23 You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. And of course, the image which Jesus most often uses to describe heaven is a great banquet. So these believers not only met together, remembered Jesus, and shared a meal, they did it with glad and sincere hearts. I was recently reminded of a book someone gave me a few years ago called Sleeping with Bread, Holding on to What Gives You Life. It's all about the Jesuit practice of the examine, and I'd like to read you the opening sentences. During the bombing raids of World War II, Thousands of children were orphaned and left to starve. The fortunate ones were rescued and placed in refugee camps, where they received food and good care. But many of these children had lost so much that they could not sleep at night. They feared waking up to find themselves once again homeless and without food. Nothing seemed to reassure them. Finally, someone hit upon the idea of giving each child a piece of bread to hold at bedtime. Holding their bread, these children could finally sleep in peace. All through the night, the bread reminded them, Today I ate, and I will eat again tomorrow. The Lynn family who wrote this book then go on to explain how at the end of each day, they spend a few minutes considering the questions. For what moment today am I most grateful? And for what moment today am I least grateful? They call this process the examine. And I think in some ways, this is what the early church were doing as they met together with glad and sincere hearts. I currently share a house with two other youth workers, and we've been trying to practice the examine over the last few weeks and we found it hugely encouraging. It's made us far more thankful, but it's also helped us to be honest with each other and with God about what we're struggling with. For the World War II orphans, sleeping with bread was the promise of life. By remembering, today I ate, and I will eat again tomorrow, they were given a deep sense of gratitude. That sense of gratitude is at the heart of this morning's reading, as this group of believers met together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Their gratitude was not just for the big things in life, like their forgiveness of sins, but for every small token of kindness. Their gratitude also led to generosity, Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. George Herbert once prayed, Thou hast given so much to me. Give one more thing, a grateful heart. How can we cultivate a grateful heart? The answer lies in companionship with Jesus. We realize that our need for him and we need that we can do nothing apart from him. And so we receive his grace, his love, and his spirit. And we will be grateful. It's in breaking bread that Christians throughout history have recognized the presence of Jesus with them, from the friends on the road to Emmaus to our times of worship and communion in the church today. Jesus unites himself with us and is the greatest companion on our journey through life. How significant that our English word companion comes from two Latin words, cum panis, which means with bread. The fourth thing that these believers devoted themselves to is prayer. After the Spirit was poured out as well as before while they were waiting for him, they continued in prayer. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, for prayer will never be superseded till it comes to be swallowed in everlasting praise. We read that they met together to pray in both public places, the temple, and also in private places, one another's homes. So prayer is an essential part of our corporate life together, but also our personal lives. What would their prayers have been about? It doesn't say here in this passage, but from the attitude and actions of this community, we can assume that their prayers were full of praise, but also dependence on God and compassion for one another, shown by their generous provision for each other's needs. I'd like to suggest that their prayers would have been for their city and the people that they lived with. As Luke tells us, they enjoyed the favor of all people. And their prayers would certainly have been for the gospel to spread and for the church to grow. For we read at the end of the passage, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what an amazing picture of answered prayer. I'm really challenged by this community to allow my prayer life to be shaped by thankfulness, dependence on God, compassion for others, concern for my city, and a longing for people to be saved and for the church to grow. Although looking at this church community, it's easy to think that they had it all sorted. We can hold up the early church as the ideal Christian community that we all just need to get back to. However, this church was still in Jerusalem and was not yet fulfilling the Great Commission. What was the job that Jesus had asked them to do? If we go back to Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What was it that led this faithful, loving, generous, but possibly comfortable church in Jerusalem to go beyond itself to the ends of the earth. It was persecution. It's only a few chapters after this passage that we see the stoning of Stephen. And then in Acts 8, verse 1, it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then in verse 4 it says, those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. How incredible that what was intended to harm the church actually led to the church fulfilling what Jesus had called it to do. Although the church in the UK may not be experiencing the same extent of persecution that we see in the church of Jerusalem, there is an increasing resistance from society towards Christianity we find it harder to speak about Christ publicly. And I know that the young people I work with find themselves in the minority when speaking up for Christian values in their RE lessons at school. The challenge is whether we see this threat as a cause to remain silent or as an opportunity to go beyond ourselves, to live generously and to think creatively about how we share the good news of Jesus. The run-up to Christmas provides a wonderful opportunity for that, with carol services next week to invite people to, and all the possibility of conversations about Christ as we celebrate his birth. Whilst recognizing that we're seeing increased opposition to the gospel in our society, you'll be more than aware, and the prayers this morning reflect to that, of the need to pray for churches that are heavily persecuted throughout the world. When we look at our world, it can be easy to think that we can make no difference and to be overwhelmed. We can wonder whether the church can really be Christ's light in this dark world. But if we look back at the words that the angel spoke to Mary as he promises her, that this child, Jesus, will be a king and that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and that his kingdom will never end. You and I have a king who is building his kingdom through his church. In our passage, we see that it was not the people who grew the church, but the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This really encourages me that as we wait on Christ and we bear witness to him, he is building his church. Should we just take a few minutes just to reflect and I'll finish with a prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you promised David and the prophets of the Old Testament that you did bring your son, Jesus, into the world as a baby at Christmas. Thank you that through him, you have redeemed a people for yourself, the church. And thank you that as we wait for our King Jesus to return, you've given us the most amazing job to do of testifying to him in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us to be devoted to the gospel, to fellowship with one another, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we ask that over this Christmas period, you would add to our number those who are being saved. In Jesus' name, amen.